0: The eyes of the world are on the Phoenix area this weekend. How fun it is to play host to such an international event. A little over 100 million viewers will be watching the Super Bowl this weekend. Now, I fly into Phoenix about eight times a year, and and let me just say that this time it was a very different experience, all right? (laughs) I mean, the city was expecting me. You all were so prepared. I mean, I came walking down to baggage claim and you, you would have thought I was the governor, you know? And there were all these people in t-shirts and everybody was coming up to me and do you know your baggage carousel number? And I'm like, no, I don't, no. And do you need a restroom? No, I always walk this way. Uh, they were asking me all sorts of questions. I found my bag. They came over with a bowl of suckers and they said, you, you get a sucker. I just because I found my own bag, you know? And, uh, I've waited six years for your SkyTram rail system to the rental car center to be built. Magically, it appeared this weekend, all right? And as I'm getting on the, the tram over the loudspeaker, you know what it says? Welcome to the friendliest airport in America. And I thought, I don't know. But I asked my phone, It is. I don't know if you all knew it, you all are the friendliest airport in America. It really is, I Googled it. Yes, be proud of that, all right? And I mean, you are friend, you had red carpet at the bottom of your escalator. In Kentucky, we don't have escalators, you know? You go to our baggage claim, it's it's in a field somewhere, all right? You fly to visit me sometime at baggage claim, a barefoot guy named Bubba with a beer belly will say, do you need an Uber? But this is a big weekend, all right? The entire football season for the Eagles and Chiefs is on the line. The speeches that these teams will hear from their coaches before the game and at halftime will be designed to, to motivate these players like never before because you've got one shot. I mean, there are 332 million Americans and only 53 will be able to say, I was a Super Bowl champ in 2023. This is it. Their coaches are going to say, "You've got one shot. You've got to make it count." Now, a lot of us love football. So we are we are watching it for the actual football game. But there are others who are more interested in the halftime show. Yes, I understand that. I, yes. <laughs> God bless you. All right. <laughs> but I would say one common area where we all agree is we we all enjoy the commercials, right? I mean, this is the only time you'll ever get shushed during a commercial, right? And, and so uh, you will see everything from the laughable to the ludicrous. You might even see ludicrous uh, this weekend in a, in a commercial. Celebrities appear in 22% of the commercials. Now, I, I talked about a team having one shot, but think about the advertising executives who stuck their neck out and convinced the boss to buy an ad. Now, some do it to introduce a product. Some do it merely for the name recognition. Some do it just because they wanna be associated with the Super Bowl. That gives more clout to their company. Some will try to touch your funny bone so that on Monday you talk about it and so they get a little bit more out of the money that they've spent. Now there are a lot of reasons to buy the time but you had better be able to justify the why because this year's price tag for 30 seconds, $7 million dollars. And so boards and bosses are saying to their marketing directors, you've got one shot. Make it count. So what I did is I I dug up three of my favorite classics. And I promise you, we will get to the Bible. Trust me. All right. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to show you a 2003 Reebok commercial, an E-Trade commercial from 2008 and then I'll wrap up with the 2016 Doritos ad, all right? Watch these. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy, but I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey buddy. Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. <laughs> We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Janice. Hey, Janice. hey, Janice. But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. <laughs> how the did you get high, baby? He fits right in here. <laughs> That's a long distance call, Doug! To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us ten Terry Tates. When it's game time, pay time, baby! Wow. Oh, this is weak, man. Frank's trying to not pay me my winnings for the skins beatdown I just issued him because his 401k's tanking. It's like, dude, you got to grab the reins, man. Get E-Trade, do some analytics, do some research, and take charge so I don't have to subsidize your lack of golfing skills. London, I told you, you moved your ball. Frank, it was on the cart path. Why don't you try reading the rules, Shankopotamus? And there's your beautiful baby. Any day now. Really? You're eating Doritos? He's eating Doritos on my ultrasound. Do you see what I have to do? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Give me that. I'm just getting you ready for the game, all right? (laughs) Advertisers will try anything from Clydesdales to frogs, all right? There's one commercial that you will watch this weekend uh, during the game that will refer to actually two of my four points from my sermon, so be watching for that one, all right? And so there are a lot of things that are going on when the Super Bowl comes along. You have the teams, you have the fans, you have the marketers, and they all say, we got one shot. There will even be a guy in the stands at some point in the game. You will see an extra point or a field goal attempt and you will see a bright yellow poster that says John 3.16 and he will go to a great deal of trouble and expense just to try to communicate a message with four letters and three numbers. He just wants to be a witness and he wants to scatter those seeds to 100 million people. Now, why is it that we take advantage of these opportunities? Why is it that you have opportunities that you can take advantage of? What is it that you can seize? Well, Ephesians chapter five, verse 16, says it like this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, I've always said this my, my entire life ever since I was a kid. Look, if, if you had one shot or one opportunity, to seize everything you ever wanted? <laughs> one moment, would you capture it? <laughs> would you just let it slip? I'm gonna stop right there, all right? Now, some of you, <laughs> those aren't really my words. Those are the words from the great theologian, Eminem. All right? That actually comes from last year's Super Bowl halftime show, all right? But I do agree with Eminem, you've got one shot. You've got one life to live. It got me to thinking, what if, what if Rihanna got a sore throat and a sprained ankle, all right? And Fox TV called me up and said, hey, Dave, we heard that you are in town. Uh, <laughs> but this year, instead of music and dancing, we'd like to go the preaching route because that's so popular, you know, at sporting events. And so uh, would you preach for about 20 minutes or so to the Super Bowl audience? I think called me and said that. What what would I preach on? What would be the most important message that I could share that would cover a wide array of people if I only had one shot? So I wrote this message with that in mind, and I'd like to try to divide all of civilization and all of time and summarize it down into four different parts. Part one: God made a masterpiece. He created the world. He spoke the world into existence. Where there was nothing, he made something. He created all the beauty in this world. Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, the blue waters of the Caribbean, the Swiss Alps, the glaciers. But it goes so, so far beyond just the physical things that we see. You see, that's a masterpiece, but, but really when I say that, the masterpiece that I'm talking about is you. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are his real masterpiece. You have value because you were made in his image. There's something inside of you that is wired like God. Evolution teaches that you are here by accident. Christianity teaches that you are here for a purpose. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a purpose. Your your good works can bring people to Christ. Psalm 139 says that you were fearfully and, and wonderfully made, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. You're here to glorify God. So, in creation, God made a masterpiece. But then, part two, we made a mess. And we did. The garden where Adam and Eve lived was a perfect paradise. God walked and he he talked with them. And he gave them just one rule that they could do absolutely anything that they wanted except to eat the fruit from one particular tree. But Adam and Eve disobeyed and every human ever since has continued. We are selfish, we are sinful. We are people who on a regular basis put our desires above God's commands. And that's why we, we made a mess. In Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says, there is no one righteous, no not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It says the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Well, wages are what you deserve. They're, they're what you earn. And that might seem strange to you that just because I'm a sinner, I, I deserve death. But if, if you create the universe, you get to set the rules. That's typically how, how it works, right? And sin separates us from God. And God went to incredible lengths for us to have a written record that that states the the rules, the guidelines, the best way for us to live so that we can get the most out of this life. God created us with free will. We get to make choices. But because we have this tendency to listen more to our sinful nature more than his spirit, we distance ourselves from God. Our bent is more toward pleasing ourselves rather than, than pleasing God. You you see it with a a, a two-year-old who defiantly screams, mine, mine. We want what we want, and we want it now. But unless we allow the Holy Spirit to have more control and to dictate our decisions, we are destined to continue that battle until we take our last breath. But that begins with acknowledging, I am a mess, and repenting, and moving in the right direction. Yesterday, I was in a coffee shop. I was, I was writing and working on this sermon. A song came on playing over the speaker. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. Well, I'm, I'm working on this message. About the third time through, when the chorus hit, I found myself, I'm writing this message, and I'm quietly singing along. It's getting hot in here. And I looked at my screen and I just said, I am a mess, right? We are a mess at times. Do you remember when the religious leaders got upset that Jesus was hanging out with sinners? His reply was always the same. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick, and that's comforting in a way. And that's why we have the church. That's why we need the church because we are a mess. We talked about this last weekend. That's the value of doing life and being in community together. We all need each other to help each other become a little less messy. Can I tell you who CCV is? We are a colossal collection of people who are not perfect but have chosen to admit that there is one who is perfect. And we are a group of people who are broken, we are messy people who have made plenty of mistakes in life, but we've swallowed our pride and we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when these messes get together, we make a beautiful mosaic. You know, that's what a mosaic is. It's, it's nothing but a bunch of broken pieces of glass that seem worthless and insignificant. But when they come together, it's a beautiful picture from the insecure to the overconfident, from the struggling to the recovering, from the penniless to the profitable, from the down and out to the up and coming, we are CCV. But as helpful and as good as church can be, God knew that the church couldn't save us. And so his plan all along was for God the Son, Jesus Christ, To leave heaven and to come to earth and to be tempted in all the ways that we're tempted and yet to remain without sin, to be perfect. It's so important that you get that. He was the perfect sacrifice. Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. I love this passage. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that takes us to part three, Jesus made a way. That's the next truth that I wanna share with a a Super Bowl audience that since God is a just God and a fair God, there had to be a penalty or a punishment for disobedience, for sin. But in our case, Jesus says, I'll take the punishment for you. And Jesus goes to the cross when he didn't deserve it. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 If we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness Romans chapter 8 verse 1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Anybody need to hear that today There's a time when Jesus is hanging on the cross and for a portion of that time the crowd is just Brutal, and they just mock him and they say things to him like, that's quite a throne for a king, King Jesus. And then they say, he saved others. If he's the Christ, then let him save himself. Can you imagine having the power to retaliate or the power to prove yourself, the authority to do something about the situation and then just to let it pass you by? And then one of the thieves beside him says this, said, hey, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself and us. Ken Geyer writes, but Jesus knows something that the crowd doesn't. He can save himself or he can save us, but he cannot do both. And so he chooses to save us. He chooses you. Why would he do that? Because from that cross, when he looks into the future, he saw you and he knows you've got one shot and it's him, he's your shot, he's my shot. He's the only hope that you and I have. And Jesus made a way through the cross. Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven and to have salvation and for imperfect, messy sinners to get into heaven Because of what Jesus did, if we accept him as the Lord, the master, the savior of our lives. And if we do that, Jesus promises in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and that that you'll have it more abundantly. Some translations say, so that you'll have life to the full. Well, in light of what we've talked about, the last truth that I'd want to share is this. Prepare for his return. I mean, the signs are all around us. If you like biblical prophecy, your head has been spinning in the last couple of years. You know, Revelation talks about the mark of the beast. And I can, I can remember for decades just thinking, golly, that just, I just cannot even imagine how there would be any way that there would be some mark or some way that people could tell where you were traveling to or... or or what was going on in your life, and they could say, you can do this, but you can't do that. But COVID taught us a whole lot, and vaccinations taught us a whole lot. Who's vaccinated? Who's not vaccinated? Tomorrow, when I go to the friendliest airport in America, I won't show a ticket. I will walk up to a machine, and I will stare into it with my eyes for two seconds, and my picture will pop up and tsa will say come on through mr stone that's the world that we live in now the bible speaks of wars and rumors of wars an increase in earthquakes this past week there were major earthquakes in turkey and syria the number of earthquakes this year has been phenomenal The gospel is so close to being shared with all people groups. We're so close to that taking place. I'm telling you, Christ's return is soon. I just heard a quote yesterday of a recent survey that 40% of Americans believe that we are living in the last days. Let me say that again and make certain you understand. I didn't say a poll of Christians. I said 40% of Americans believe that we are in the last days. Even people with no faith, no spiritual heritage, sense that we're close to the end. So maybe just maybe they're open to hearing the gospel. And people love to decipher and debate when Christ will return. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. He says, I don't know. Some of you May recall that almost 35 years ago, back in, in September of 1988, there was a gentleman by the name of Edgar Wisnett, and he put out a little book that was entitled 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. And he was convinced that Jesus was going to return on September 10th, 11th, or 12th. And many disillusioned followers sold all their belongings, and they went to the top of mountains and they waited for those three days for Jesus to come. If you're unfamiliar with any of this, just Google 88 reasons and it will pop up immediately. Now at that time, I worked at Cincinnati Christian University. And to say that the, the student body was getting a kick out of this whole shenanigan that was unfolding would be, to put it mildly, right? I mean, we all thought it was kind of funny that Jesus doesn't know, but Edgar did know when he was going to return. <laughs> and so when those three days came and went, I came to campus that day. And when I was getting out of my car as I'm walking toward my office, I passed some students and I looked at them and said, hey, I said, "Uh, looks like Christ didn't return. I guess Edgar was wrong. And they looked at me and they said, oh, you didn't hear? And I went, what? (laughs) And they said, Edgar Wiseman was on national radio this morning and he said he was off this slightly with his calculations. Jesus will return between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I said, well, are the students aware of this? They said, everybody was buzzing about it at breakfast this morning in the cafeteria. So I went to my office and I thought, I can get some work done or I can have some fun with this. Guess which I chose. And so I called up the maintenance department. I said, hey, do you all have a long rope that I could borrow and maybe a pulley system? And they said, yeah, sure, Dave, we've got that. I called up two guys who, who played the trumpet I said, would you bring your trumpets and would you meet me up at my office in, in about 30 minutes? Sure, Dave, we'll come up. I got the long rope in the police system. I put it under my clothes, uh, uh, through my pants, all through my shirt. I got the trumpet players out there. I also called up the professor of the largest class that was on the second floor of President's Hall. And I said, hey Mike, I said, when class starts at 10 o'clock, will you do me one favor? And I said, Will you just open the window over on the side of your room and just keep it open? He said, Sure. I said, and do me one more favor. Just, just mention something about the rapture, just in passing as you start class. He said, I'll be glad to help. So sure enough, I was stationed in my spot at about 1015. I had two guys up on top of the building. They had either end of the rope. There were about 40 students that heard about what I was doing and they were skipping class to watch the rapture. (laughs) And finally, I gave the signal to the two trumpet players. And they pointed their trumpets toward the window and they started playing the old hymn about heaven, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And when they started playing that and blaring right into that room, one of the guys, when I gave them the signal, thought that was his cue. So he started pulling me up. So now I'm being raptured sideways, okay? (laughs) So I'm going up the side of the building sideways. I get about six feet up when the other guy realizes, oh, I must have made a mistake. He starts pulling feverishly at the same moment the first guy realized, oh, I pulled early. So while he's pulling feverishly, the other guy lets out the slack. (laughs) The rapture nearly became the (laughs) rupture. Well, they started pulling me up. I had the book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur, right here in my shirt pocket, and as I'm going sailing past, I got my hands up, and there's 50 students with eyes as big as saucers as I go past the window. I said, I'm coming home, Jesus, I'm coming home. I don't know why they're not coming home, but I'm coming home, and these two guys, they just dragged me all the way up, and they pulled me over the top of that lip, and I mean, the kids down there were on the lawn, they're clapping away, you know, kids that will skip class, they will clap for just about anything, right? So we're up there, we're exhausted. I feel like I have been a, uh, I'm a fingernail on an emery board up against the brick for the entire trip up. They pull me over the lip, I'm up there. These two guys are sweating profusely. They are just dog tired. Finally, one of them, Jim Stanley, he catches his breath. He says, hey, Stone. He said, did you ever think what might have happened if while we were pulling you up, we got raptured and you didn't? I said, yes, I did think about that and that's why I felt safe in choosing you. (laughs) Uh, As I recall, Jim did not think it was all that funny. Uh, But we should always be skeptical of date setters, right? We can laugh about that, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, so that's why we have to be ready. There has to be a sense of urgency because Eternity hangs in the balance. Knowing that He is coming is much more important than knowing when He is coming. You see, choice, not chance, will determine your eternal destination. Christ will return, perhaps today. And every one of us will be assigned to either one of two places either heaven or hell. And it will all depend upon who you've chosen. To live your life for. See, if the Bible only spoke of hell even one time, we would have to believe that it's true. But the Bible doesn't talk about it once. It talks about it 54 different times. And Jesus is the one who talked about it more than anyone else because he wanted to make certain that you never go there. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What I'm saying is that there is power in the name of Jesus because he is the only way and so we have to be prepared. About nine months ago, my my son-in-law, Aaron Joss, he's married to my daughter, Sadie, he entered his first full marathon in, in Waco, Texas. They live in Houston and he had trained for months in preparation. So he traveled to Waco, and, and Sadie and my little granddaughter Sable went, and Aaron's parents went, and Aaron's sisters went. And it was just an exciting day, and everything was going well. I was speaking in South Carolina, and I kept getting texts every hour just pictures and, and videos. Everything was going on. But somewhere in the 26th mile, Aaron collapsed. And praise the Lord, there was a medical team that was right there and they quickly got on the scene and they, they rushed him in a golf cart to the medical tent. I want you to imagine my, my daughter there at the finish line knowing he should be coming by any minute and kept waiting and waiting and then all of a sudden to see your, your husband slumped over with the golf cart speeding to an emergency tent. When they took his core temperature, he had a temperature of 107.9. He was unresponsive, his blood pressure was 60 over 20. His body had begun shutting down. Three guys were able to immediately put him in an ice bath. He didn't come to until he was in the emergency room an hour or so later. It took an intense toll on his body, it affected his muscles, his liver, but especially his kidneys. And Aaron spent 16 consecutive nights in the hospital. Since his kidneys weren't functioning, he, he had dialysis several times just to try to get those kidneys to kick in. And it was a traumatic few weeks. He started improving after about 10 days and he gradually kept improving and he returned to work about a month after he got out of the hospital. This is just one of those freak things. But we are so grateful for the Lord's intervention. And selfishly, we are thankful that God wasn't done with Aaron yet. He has no recollection of anything after the 22nd mile until he awakened in the hospital emergency room. The day he came home from the hospital was my first time to truly get to have a a good talk about it all. And that night in their home, I asked him about those, those hours that he doesn't remember. I, I said, is there anything that you recall? And Aaron is an engineer. He's, he's not given to hyperbole. He's more of a just, just the facts kind of guy. And Aaron said, oh yeah. He said, I remember what I experienced. I felt like my body was slipping away. And I really thought, this is it. And I didn't think I was gonna make it. And I felt like I was gonna die. And I was just encompassed by this darkness. I said, what did you do? Aaron said, in my heart, I just started saying the name of Jesus. I just started calling out to him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He said, I don't know how many times I said it, but as I kept saying it, I said his name, the, the darkness dissipated. It gave way to light. He said, I found myself in the emergency room. He said, I, I've heard you tell that story about your mom being in that car wreck a number of years ago. And she said that it got to that point where everything faded, every relationship, every person, and it was just her and Jesus. And Aaron said, that's exactly what it felt like for me. You do know that every one of us will have a moment like that. Now, I don't know the exact details of how you or I will exit this world, whether you'll take your last breath or whether Christ will return. Either you're going or he's coming. And so you better be ready. So you got one shot. This is your one and only life. So make it count. Earlier, I, I kind of dreamed that what would happen if, if Fox TV did say, hey, you, you speak at, at halftime. But then I got thinking, you know what? That, that's not gonna happen. What if they just said, you know what? We'll give you a commercial. You've got 30 seconds. You can say whatever you want. We won't edit it. We won't shorten it. We won't censor it. You can say whatever you want. And I got thinking this week, what would I say? How could I summarize this entire message down for people of all faith backgrounds, for people who have no faith, for people who are questioning their salvation, what would I say? And this is what I came up with. Start the timer at 30 seconds. God made a masterpiece. We made a mess. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus made a way. To prepare for his return. Let's pray. Pray with me, our Father in heaven. For those who uh, need to call out to you. May they call out to you. May they say your name. May they accept you. May they walk and live for you. Lord, for those who uh, have walked with you and made a decision at some point, but they kind of have gotten off that road and they've taken a detour. (laughs) would you pull them back and would you give them that chance as they repent and they come clean and they say, Lord, I just wanna, I just wanna get right with you. I just wanna be in a right relationship. So we thank you for what your word says. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As you leave today, um, at all of our campuses, if, if you want to talk to somebody, Super Bowl weekend can be a great time for you to make a super decision. There are people who would love to talk with you uh, at, at the guest services area at all of our campuses. So don't, don't leave your campus if God lays something on your heart. Have a great week. <clears throat>